Hey, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast, and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often, a lot of the time, we may not feel good enough. I'm here with my colleagues and friends today, Dr. Cora Bruner, to help you face this challenge head on. Thanks for joining me, Cora. Thank you so much for inviting me. Okay, so let me just give you a quick background. Dr. Cora Bruner was one of my attendings, meaning she's one of my instructors way back when, when I was a resident physician at Children's. She's got so many titles, it's kind of hard to start. She's a professor of pediatrics and an adjunct professor of orthopedics and sports medicine at the University of Washington. She attends at Children's and with the Division of Adolescent Medicine, uh, and she's the president of the Northwest Society of Adolescent Medicine. She went to medical school in Philadelphia like me. Hats off yes. to that. Yeah, here we are. Um, and Cora is one of these people who has always, I think, thought outside the box. And when you meet Cora, she's she's probably, she may even talk faster than me. And she's got kind of exuberant energy. But she studies things like complementary and alternative medicine and puts it into real journal articles to understand its effect. She's the one who I was introduced to biofeedback when I was a resident, sat in a room, learned how to bring my own heart rate down. She studies mindfulness. She thinks carefully about the different ways to heal and also motivate teenagers. And so, Cora, this is such a privilege to have you here. Thanks so much, Wendy Sue. I'm really excited for this uh, podcast today. So here's what we're doing today. We are going to do our best to talk about um, this, and that is a question I get texted and asked, kind of almost like whispered in my ear from people all over the country, and I don't have a very good answer. And so Cora is going to provide us guidance, which is, I've got a girl, and we live in the United States in this culture, and she's a little overweight, or she's a little chubby, or I'm worried she's getting fat, or I feel really nervous as she goes through puberty that she isn't really skinny, and I don't want to stigmatize her. I don't want to shame her. I want her to feel awesome and great and be athletic and healthy, but I don't know what to do. Well, that's awesome that you bring that up. That's a good question because we do see a lot of parents who ask us these questions in our clinics or our family members ask it about their own children or we see it in our own children as pediatricians. I mean, mm -hmm. it's one of those things that's fascinating. It doesn't just happen to someone else. It happens right in our own cultures and it happens in other cultures too and other races and ethnicities. So this is timely, especially now when there is such a drive for thinness and you can't get away from every magazine cover having some person that's just petite and, and, and there's never a magazine cover with somebody that's on the overweight side that doesn't sell the magazines. Yeah, right. I mean, there have been some nice campaigns. I was thinking about the Dove campaign that I like that's kind of this natural beauty, right? It's included all this diversity and different body sizes, but it, of course, isn't the norm and it certainly isn't what's being targeted and marketed to teenage girls or young girls. And girls aren't looking at teen magazines always, right? They could be looking at Vanity Fair. It's not like they're, you know, I mean, they're kind of reaching outside their age range. Right. Too. I've been thinking a lot about this as you asked me to do this podcast, because I think um, as an adolescent provider, I see it at the tail end of a problem that's been going on for mm -hmm. years and years and years. And Cora, that's because Cora's a specialist, right? So typically a family would interface with someone like me in the community. Things would go really, really wrong. Either the child would really, really gain so much weight and I had put them in different programs or made specific advice that didn't work, and or a child loses so much weight that you see them when a full-fledged eating disorder is at play and they're at high, right. high risk. Right, and so that's the big risk and, and concern in the people pediatric and, and all the healthcare provider community, mm. um, which is, and as parents too, I guess, if you start stigmatizing and shaming a kid because they ate an extra donut or um, two cupcakes at the birthday party, that 
um, that you will create an eating disorder. You will, you will shame this kid into starving themselves and then they'll go the other direction and lose so much weight that they get really, really sick from that. And there really isn't any data to support that at all. That's um, old uh, myth busting that we'd love to do. Um, Around, say, say that again, say that really clearly. What research does not exist? What's the negative finding there? That there, if, you, if you kind of point out to a child their eating behaviors, that you turn them into having a challenge with an eating disorder. Right, that's not, that, that's not true. It is yeah. um, more that's like- reassuring. It's that's reassuring. It's reassuring because- we're not, That it's not in our control as a parent. Right. So look, can we talk about shame then in general, just to, to redirect it. So if, if, a, if someone's coming to us as providers, coming to you as an expert and says, you know, my kids, a little bit on the overweight. I don't want to shame them. Um, what can I tell them about their weight? Like, what's a positive way to guide a child who, for example, my child went on a field trip. I have a boy who's not a preteen and is not overweight at this point, but went on a field trip. He got $10 on this field trip to spend however he wanted, as did a, m a bunch of other children in the class. And he came home, and I kid you not, with a bag of candy. And I was like, Right, like okay, like you could have you could have purchased anything, and you just bought a bunch of because we don't do a lot of candy in our life, right? But um, and I don't want him to feel shameful that that's how he did it. He was celebrating, and I mean, in the end, the dog ate it. I mean, I can't believe this is the end of that story. We have a Great Dane, and the Great Dane got into the candy and ate the candy, and now the candy's gone, and we're all crying about it. But I mean, if a child goes out and spends all their money, gets a twenty dollar bill, and and goes uh, you know for a ski day, and at and at lunchtime gets you know fourteen different things and eats it all and comes home and tells you that's how they spent their 20 bucks, what do, what do we do? What, what's a way to deal with an unhealthy, almost binge eat that might be just so normal? I think that would, to, to not push it up into the ozone in terms of reaction, <laughs> I think would be the best thing. Yeah, right, right, right. Because right. maybe they went ham on getting a lot of stuff because there's none of that in their home. Uh-huh. And they could. Um, and maybe they noticed. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, mine too. And so um, yeah. I, I think that not like blaming or making someone feel bad for wanting to try something out I think would be important. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that the literature does show that if you provide healthy choices um, at meals that kids will gravitate towards the healthy choices if that's just what is there. Yeah, and I, that's, you know, so based. I, I love that, which I typically go to the division of responsibility, right, which is an Ellen Satter who's a pediatric nutritionist who basically just says your job as a parent is to buy and provide the food. Your kid's job is to decide which and how much they eat of that, right? Yes. And that if your food source is a healthy food source in general, that your kid will learn how to eat when they're hungry and stop when they're full. And if you're not sitting in front of the TV, you're not always eating in the car, or you're not doing all these other things things when you're eating so that they learn to listen to their bodies, they can eat healthfully. But I think in this in this culture where kids are getting advertised in all the shows and apps and games and social channels that they're in, food, we, we know that food marketers do that. We try and work hard advocacy-wise to have them stop, but they're being targeted and, we, and food art marketers know that that works. And then they live in this culture where, to your point, being thin is really important. What do we do when just that eat and eat when you're hungry and stop being full doesn't work and kind of and and food becomes a place of control or kids are sneaking and you're finding wrappers under their mattress or you know what are ways in a non-shaming way I guess and not I like your your example of not going to the ozone but what are other ways that that parents can guide a child kind of over a lifetime right because this isn't nothing's going to get solved in a week no and, right? and again I I use this metaphor a lot in a lot of what I do which is it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, um, in terms of working um, to make sure kids have healthy choices. And of course, the first is to model the behavior yourself. 
And that's really hard as parents when we're tired at the end of a long day and we just want to eat and watch something on the mm -hmm. computer at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not a good idea to model that for our kids. Um, but also not to down um, play that we all make mistakes sometimes and mm -hmm. forgiveness is really important. Um, when families find wrappers under bed, which happens a lot, mm -hmm. um, again, not jumping immediately to the blame, but just talk, sit down with it with the child and say, uh, I noticed that there was a lot of wrappers under the bed. It makes me feel like you probably aren't getting the right amount of food in the at meal times. Talk to me about this. What's going on? Um, and and let's try to brainstorm how not to have wrappers under the bed anymore, which means not to eat and sneaking in your bedroom because your bedroom really should be a place where you sleep and not where you eat. Um, and I think that going the other way, which is instead of getting mad when you see this, but it's really hard, uh -huh. but you should try not to talk to this child about this when you're mad. You need to stop, step back and try to have a conversation when you're in a better place so they can tell you what happened, which might be, I was really hungry and I thought you were going to get really mad at me if I would eat um, a candy bar. I know I'm supposed to have carrots or an apple, but I just, ah, I just really wanted a candy bar because it just looked so good and... And then the parent might say, well, you know what, how about if we just have, how about if you just have half a candy bar? Or how about if you have carrots and what can you eat with the carrots that would make you feel as good as having a candy bar? Candy bar, carrots and some peanut butter. Um, how about like a yogurt that does have some sweet fruit in it? And, and then, and, and have the kid help you figure out a way to help them get those needs met without getting mad. Yeah, I, and without the sneaking, right? That you don't want a place of sneaking, right? right. So there's the, hopefully, you're trying to create a structure over time of non-shaming because you're saying, I'm not going to shame you for sneaking. It just means we have to redesign how you're, how you're eating. Right. What about, um, you know, I mean, what about, be, besides kind of the obvious stuff in, in modeling, what do we do when we were at a Starbucks or you're at a, a McDonald's or, and, and a child doesn't want a medium but wants a large size? or kind of says, but I'm so thirsty and I'm not full when I eat the size of food that you want. So just kind of portion and guiding a child with portions. Do you have advice of like how do parents, um, you know, I mean, in some ways I think when we when we stigmatize anything and vilify and say you can't have that ever, you can't have a supersized <laughs> big gulp or whatever ever because it doesn't make any sense to drink 64 ounces of anything, right? Um, it becomes so desirable to a child, right? right? Out of reach, right? So it, do you have guidance on like how to, as you're kind of raising kids who may be overweight or aren't overweight, how do you kind of guide them to not have things so out of reach, but also not be tolerant of them in a culture that has the 64 ounce, right? whatever 2,000 calorie drink? Well, I think having the conversation again ahead of time so that you're not in mm. the moment trying to say no to a kid, I mm. think that's really challenging, but you have to not role play per se, but kind of, mm -hmm. which is we're like going to go in. into 7-Eleven and, okay, we got 10 bucks and we have to get lunch for everybody. Yes. Um, and although it's really cheap to get... The, the bigger time. drink, uh -huh. um, and it's only 10 more cents or something, and they're, uh -huh. if they're smart, which a lot of these kids are, they've already done the math. Of course. Well, it's only 10 cents more, and it's yeah. like 30 more ounces of, uh. you know, of that. Um, so Mountain you know, Dew. Yeah, woo <laughs> um, But I, I think just, again, modeling, well, I know, but we, um, we can also have that extra fluid be water. Or we can, I just really want you to understand that that's something that um, we already decided isn't going to happen. 
Um, so we're, we're just not going to do that. Um, yeah. Why? Because I said so. Eventually ends up being the because I said so. Because you still are a parent. Right? right. Yeah. And that's okay. That's really to have, okay to yeah. have rules. Yeah. Because that's not shaming when it's when it's that, that model. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about something I hear in clinic and have witnessed in my own life and in, in family life that um, some kids will eat more. Like, you know, as parents kind of guide. So we go back to that division of responsibility and we're saying, okay, well, let's provide really good healthy food. And when I first offer my kids food or snack or something even for the car, I'm going to give them a, a portion that I think is appropriate. And there are all sorts of websites you can find out portion sizes, but we all we all know that a normal sized apple is an apple and then, um, you know, uh, something that's really calorie dense and sugar loaded like three Pop-Tarts is not the same thing, right? So, but what do we do when you serve a kid a normal, what we think is a normal sized portion and they just say, but I'm not full when you give me that. I need more. You know, is there a way to guide and coach a kid when it seems like they're eating not to fill hunger, but they're eating to fill some sort of other need, right? That quote unquote emotional eating. What are ways to help with that? Well, again, I think, I mean, that's a really good question and it's hard because um, you don't want to, like as a parent, your job is to nurture and nourish your child. Mm -hmm. And so when you say no, you can only have this much food, um, then it puts you in the, you know, I'm a bad parent because I'm not nourishing my child. I'm not giving them enough. Um, so I, and then this was, this is hard because there's not a lot of research on this, but there's a lot of common sense with this, which is pointing out um, to a, a child, this is the portion size that I and uh, the dietitian, if they see one, and the pediatrician or their healthcare provider, or what I know as your mom or dad, is the right amount of food for to allow your body to grow. And when the kid says back, yeah, but I'm still hungry, I say, well, let's talk about that for a second, because I, I, this is the amount of food that you need. So if you're still hungry, after about 10 minutes, after you've finished this serving size, mm -hmm. we can readdress that. But can you just wait 10 minutes and we'll take a walk or we'll play with a dog or we'll read a book because that usually squashes that uh, I need to keep eating. Yeah. I need seconds. I need thirds. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things I've observed um, at mealtime is that you can, the anticipation of it coming and, and creating expectations and the thinking around it, kids can get really anxious about it, right? And it can start to be about the control. So it's about the conflict around how much they get and how much they want even versus how much they need, and they can't see need. It's like need is out out there, right? They're just, and it turns into a conflict with a parent or caregiver, which is around, I want this much, you want to restrict me. I already am telling you I want the adult meal, I don't want the kid meal, and I don't get full when I have the kid meal, and I'm growing, and this and that and the other, that that it is, it's kind of as much as, as we can, right? We want to take the conflict out of the food, and the food out of the conflict. But in the world of, of nutrition, um, and I am not a nutritionist, but I do work very closely with really qualified nutritionists at Seattle Children's Hospital, what I've noticed they say, and work, which works, which is eat slowly, chew all your food, drink, a, drink water with your meals, and then wait before you get seconds. And, if, and, and not necessarily like someone standing over a kid with a stopwatch and saying, okay, if you're still hungry in three minutes, boom. Um, but just being careful but also mindful of um, what's going on. A lot of whining and, and crying around food is probably not hunger. And so people yeah. confuse fatigue and hunger a lot. Yeah, so, um, so you're saying, I mean, ultimately, that one of the tips that families can take then is to help over time guide an unhealthy weight girl or boy. I mean, I'm kind of focusing on girls because I think it's culturally at the teen years really a challenge is to think on 
when there's a cue for and a conflict or something where eating looks like it's not to serve hunger to really start unpackaging that, right, with kids. And I think being really transparent about it. Right. And saying, gosh, it seems like you're actually bored, not hungry. Let's right. go grab or a mad. glass of water and, like, go outside. Right, or sad or, or whatever yeah. other yeah. emotion that you have. You're jealous of someone. Whatever emotion it is, let's call the emotion what it is yeah. and deal with that head on as opposed to constantly calling it I'm hungry. Yeah. So um, let's end. I'd love for you, uh, I think parents are really concerned about doing uh, any, any t talking to their girls in any way about their appearance. So, you know, I don't think sometimes parents even want to talk about a child's beauty or talk about a child's appearance or talk about a child's clothing size or talk about the way a child looks when they're worried that they might kind of condone the public messages around an ideal way to be and look. What are positive messages that parents can give girls of any size, uh, unhealthy weight, healthy weight, way overweight or obese or not, um, that are kind of neutral? Are there things that you can think of that, that you can kind of inspire um, commitment, bond, and confidence in a child that isn't necessarily about some, I don't know, like some like in, in a kind of adorning this kind of cultural need for a certain way to look. That's great. And that actually combines both what I do in my biofeedback world with, with what I do in my adolescent world, world, which is to use neutral words versus uh. fight or flight or shaming words. So uh -huh. instead of saying this is awful, this is horrible, this sucks, I hate this, um, Which it's, a, te a teenager says about everything. Pretty, yeah, yeah, it's pretty commonly peppered yeah. through the. Yeah. And the words like inconvenient hmm. isn't really a normal word that a teenager, they don't really kind of ever hmm. use that word. Or that's curious or that's interesting. Um, uh, so instead of saying, why did you choose that? That's a stupid choice for a, a healthy snack. Well, you might say, that's interesting um, that, that you chose that. Um, when there's other choices available. Or I know it's inconvenient for you to be hungry right now versus you can't be hungry right now, you just ate. Um, uh. Uh, that, that's curious that, that, that you're saying you're hungry um, when, when I, I, I believe there's probably some more um, emotion under that and let's, uh -huh. let's unpackage that a little bit or let's talk about that, which kids really don't like to talk about, but too bad. It's, it's really important to get to that because the quicker a parent can recognize what their kid needs, the quicker they can address it head on. Um, and I think that we as providers and, and family members and, and teachers can, can, can really be instructive in, in redirecting a kid um, very early on in their life so that they're not facing these issues as they go through their adolescence because it is brutal. It is brutal to be dealing with this um, when you're an adolescent mm -hmm. and young adult. Mm -hmm. um, they have so many years of, of work and so much time to undo what could easily have been laid down better. Way better. So positive things you could say to a girl about the way they look that are neutral. Is there, like, can you just give me an example? Like, what would we say if a 16-year-old if a walked in here and we wanted her to feel awesome on her way out the door to school? What's something that we could, is there, I don't know, I'm just like, I'm trying to just like tap you for Well, yeah, no, I know. And I, around. yeah, this was taught to me when I was a fellow, actually, by my, one of my mentors, Carol Bach, um, she always would say something positive about, um, and we ran a teen pregnancy clinic and, and a, an obesity clinic as well, um, about the, how beautifully put, they put their makeup on. <laughs> or um, I love that bow in your hair. Um, I just love the way you, you know, you're, you, look so, you, you uh -huh. look so sassy today. Or uh. I love your shoes. Or like, uh. and um, So something that is about a, a appearance but is neutral to the standpoint of, um, how you fit into something, right. or what size you right. are, or uh -huh. or um, and, or gosh, that's a smart answer. You know, I mean, I'm uh -huh. really, 
I'm pressed that are, you figure this out. Uh-huh. Um, and um, I see that you're you're listening to music. What are you listening to? Um, and why do you like that artist? Um, mm-hmm. And even if you don't even know who it is that they're listening to, which most of the time I don't, um, and I just really take away any discussion around um, size and appearance, and and just really talk about them as a person. I think I think we are at time on this issue, and I um, I, I want to just summarize a couple of things that Dr. Bruner shared today, and and that is that. I love this quote that, you know, our job as a parent is to both nurture and nourish our child and that what we do likely and what we say, so please give yourself a break, um, will not turn our child into um, a a downward spiral of a serious and life-threatening eating disorder. We just don't have that control. It's more multifactorial than that. So that what we can do is think of avoiding shame, thinking about... um, really transparently dialoguing with our kids of what hunger might be sometimes just a sign of fatigue or sadness or distraction or wanting to get out of a situation, that we can use positive messages about who they are and how they think and not so much about food. And and we know 12 million kids are obese, you know, in, in this country and that, you know, a, a third of kids are overweight. And this is a common challenge for families to not want to stigmatize but want to guide their kids over time. And Dr. Bruner's points, too, was that this really is a marathon and you're not going to solve this in one day, that, you know, providing really good food, helping and guide kids on, you know, on portion sizes and not doing the dumpy thing that we often do in front of our kids, which is kind of do that distracted eating where we're eating a bowl of ice cream or something after dinner that we probably aren't that hungry for in front of our computer, that we have a lot of control on that. But that, um, you know, that I think we can avoid shame. We can think that our, our jobs are really to nurture uh, and also nourish. And then if we take control away and feelings away from food, it can be easier for our girls and boys. Thanks, Dr. Bruner. You're welcome. Thank you. The reality is parenting is a high-stakes job, but the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 